Hey Zebra friends and welcome to the 21st episode of Get Your Comic On The Podcast. My name is Neil and I am here with my usual co-person Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. It's tradition, there's a review named after it. It's been another busy fortnight here in Geico land, but we are here to tell you about a few different things this week. We have uh, The Informer, which is a film that I went to see last week at Warner Brothers. It was last week. It was. Um, Carnival Row, of which we've seen the first, well, I've seen the first four episodes, you've seen the first one. Uh, What else are we going to be telling the the lovely listeners at home about this week? We've got a couple of comics. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to talk about Deceased. Oh, maybe that's what I was going to talk about. Well, too late now. (laughs) No, actually, I'm going to talk about the first issue of Batman Superman, which is out today, actually. Uh, It comes out today. As you are reading this, you can now go and buy issue number one. Where can Um, we buy it? Well, all good comic books are sold. Thank you very much. We're also going to be discussing uh, the DC crossover for this year, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is suddenly making me feel that we're very DC heavy this week, which is not unlike us at all, really, is it? No, not really. We've got some non-DC news. Well, there is some non-DC news that we will get to in a minute. But first things first, we need to announce the winner of our Hellboy competition. So we partnered with the lovely people at Lionsgate to give away a steelbook copy of uh, the latest Hellboy movie that came out earlier this year. Uh, But we're not just giving away one. How many are we giving away? We're not giving away two. Not more than two. We're giving away three copies of the um, stunning steelbook edition that has artwork on the cover by original Hellboy artist Mike Mignola. So, drum roll please, it's time for the winners. So winner number one, we have Rebecca at RebeccaCan23. We also have Jake, who is at JakeLeddington11. And finally, we have Connor at BCRD. So uh, get in touch. Send us a direct message on uh, Facebook. (laughs) What year is this? Send it on MySpace, guys. (laughs) Send us a DM on uh, Twitter with your postal address, and we will get Lionsgate to ship those out to you as soon as possible. Well done, winners! WDW. (laughs) We will have plenty more things to give away in the near future. But from a happy note to a sad note. We had some sad news last week. Spider-Man has died. He's not died. Uh, Yeah, Spider-Man has left the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the last week. He shuffled out the side door. He did shuffle out the side door, following the breakdown of talks between Sony and Marvel slash Disney. So rumour is that the deal that they had was for the five films that he's been in so far, and that Sony uh, Sony would give up around 10% of the profit to Disney Marvel. (laughs) Bearing in mind that Sony's paying the bill for the full films, 10% is not a a bad thing, but it's not a huge amount. And the rumour is that Disney was asking for... uh, 50% 50% of all profits in the movies going forwards. So, we won't fund your film, but we'll help you write it. But we do want 50% of all the money that you make for it. So, reportedly, that is why, amongst many reasons, that talks are broken down. And Spider-Man will not be in any more Avengers or Marvel Cinematic Universe movies going forwards. He will go back to the world of Sony and maybe square off with Tom Hardy's Venom. I don't know how I feel about this. I feel quite sad. If I was Marvel, I'd be quite worried. I would be quite worried if I was Marvel. 
Um, spoiler alert for anybody that hasn't seen Avengers Endgame, of which I learnt this weekend that there is one person in the world who hadn't. Um, with no Tony Stark and no Steve Rogers, Spidey was kind of the number one person they had left. No Black Widow. Um, and now he's not there anymore. Well, if you think about Far From Home, they spent a lot of that film sort of putting Spidey in the centre of the MCU. They certainly did. And that's now a bit of a concern. Because he won't be there. You know, all this talk, who's going to be the next Tony Stark? Who's going to be the next Iron Man? And, uh, working with Nick Fury. Working with Nick. What about Happy? I know. Happy and Aunt May can no longer be together. She wasn't sure if she wanted to, you know, move forwards with the relationship at the end. And now the decision has been made for her. The love was never destined to go anywhere. Sadly not, by the, by the sound of things. But initially people were very worried that Tom Holland wouldn't continue in the role. And actually he said, you know... There is a Spider-Man 3, we've pitched it, they like the idea, it's the same writers that did Homecoming and Far From Home. In theory, it should hopefully be the same director if Marvel don't pinch him for something else first. Because the rumour is that there's now a bidding war between Marvel and Sony for him to direct for both parties. Um, so in theory, it shouldn't really change that much in terms of the tone and the way it's made. It should only be that all of a sudden, half the things in the movie disappear well I suppose his world will just get a bit tiny bit smaller they've been Thanosed they've been blipped they have they've blipped out of existence at least most of the characters that were there in the high school are characters that are owned by Sony and they own all the Spider-Man villains so it's not like any of that disappears it just means that the S.H.I.E.L.D. connection and the Nick Fury connection and the Happy connection and the Avengers all disappear just a shame really because the, the happy and the fury connections are really important yeah and obviously that last film relied heavily on the fact that Iron Man had passed away and like you said about who's going to be the next Tony Stark but also how the world reacted to the blip and to Tony so does that suddenly go away and we stop mentioning why half the class aged and the other half didn't and actually we just continue in this weird position I presume it's enough of an amicable split that they can still refer to things that happened in the past they just can't interact going forwards. You'd hope so, or do they go to like a weird Spideyverse place and we get to see a bit of Andrew Garfield and So Tom Holland has said that what they're planning to do next is quite crazy, so in theory that will probably get people's minds running that suddenly Andrew Garfield and um Toby Maguire. Thank you very much. Uh will suddenly just appear and we'll have a Spidey three way. Don't raise your eyebrow at me, you know what I meant. That's a lot of web fluid. <laughs> oh, no. You were all thinking it. So it's going to be interesting to see where this franchise goes from there, to be to fair be at this point. It could go in so many different directions, but it's a worrying time for both because Disney have lost one of the major draws for their franchise at a time when they're in a massive changeover of cast. So... I'm sure it will never stop the machine that is Marvel, but it I would imagine they're quaking in their boots just a little bit about the future without him. And for Sony to make the decision to not continue to pair up, regardless of financial anything, ignore that and just think about how it's in it works in their favour to have Marvel helping them to make great movies going forwards. If the next Spider Man 
doesn't top far from home in terms of quality and people don't like it as much then the blame will squarely be placed on Sony for segregating the two but they'll just reboot it again because they do that regularly <laughs> you say that they've only done it twice no but it feels like it's happened in quick succession very quickly Garfield to Holland happened very quickly but the other thing to remember is that a lot of people think that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man film and that had no Marvel input that was made by Sony and no Spider-Man film made uh, by you know just by Sony themselves made less than 700 million dollars so financially every film has been a success just not necessarily critically a success or well received by fans on the flip side people are saying well these are the people that made Venom yes Venom was not the best adaption of the comic book still made over 800 million dollars worldwide though so the argument is that people seem to turn up for spider related films regardless either way I think the Spider-Man franchise has got a very uncertain future ahead of it for the next few months until things start to fall into place well you never know they might change their mind they might have a last minute panic for some reason, a few people still seem to think that they do, although comments from both Kevin Feige and um, Tom Holland sort of allude to the fact that it's a bit of a done deal, but that could just be posturing on their part to try and manipulate the press slightly. It could still happen at the 11th hour. It's like the Brexit of the MCU. <laughs> it is the Brexit of the MCU, yes. So if we all needed a reminder about that, thank you. Well, I'm more interested in the Brexit of Spider-Man than I am or anything else, so... Just keep watching this space and we'll keep you up to date on the story as it develops. It twists and turns every day at this point in the... Oh, they're back at the table. No, they're not at the, t the negotiating table. They're out. They're in. They might be out. They might be in. It's a bit of a roller coaster. But something more exciting that we saw this weekend. A little sneaky peek of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Just a short sneaky peek. But quite a revealing one at the same time, depending on your point of view. Dark Ray and her double lightsaber. Thoughts on this? Very exciting. Hmm. What do you think it is? Well, I don't know. Could it be a? Are we going to flip it? Is, is Ray going to go to the dark side, and Kylo Loren is going to go back to the light? Could that be the titular rise of Skywalker? It could be because we know that she's not a Skywalker. Well, unless they wreck on the last film, which we could all hope happens. <laughs> Controversial. It's my hot take of the day. Is it a forced premonition? Is it a dream? Is it a nightmare sequence? Could be so many different things. We've got no context on it right now. Is there a secret Skywalker that we've not known about yet? Luke well, has been on that island for a very long time. Well, 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 well. You say this, I'm reaching over to the bookshelf to my right. While I reach for this book off the shelf, have a little listen to the trailer.
present generations live in you now. But this is your fight. In this very book, which I hold in my hands, Star Wars Dark Empire, Volume 1, uh, there is a lot about the children of Han and Leia, and they follow the tradition of the Skywalker family. And what is the tradition of the Skywalker family? Secret twins. Twins, indeed. So it could be, particularly because this book uh, also has the Emperor coming back after Return of the Jedi through cloning and it's a lot about how Palpatine keeps himself alive indefinitely through uh, through clones. There could be a lot from this book that comes into play in this film, which I would be quite excited about because this is a very, very good book. This was the first Star Wars comic that I ever read, actually. Uh, I don't even know when it was published, you know. Excuse the sound of me flipping through the pages. Uh, 1992. Hmm. 1992. Dark Horse Comics. Star Wars Dark Empire. Very, very worth a read. So what does he do? Does he clone himself and then transfer his consciousness? or? So there are cloned bodies, and yes, the consciousness gets transferred into each of them, which I guess is a, is a force thing. So he just, as soon as one body is, is basically knocked down, he just gets transferred into another one. I suppose he does like a clone. As you know, there's a whole episode attack. two about it. Yes. Attack of them. They, yes, there's a whole attack of them. Um, so yeah, I'm quite interested. I hadn't expected that. That wasn't what I thought we were going to see from that preview. I thought it was just going to be more of what we saw in that first trailer, maybe an extended scene. But actually, it's quite it's quite an epic little trailer building up through the other sort of eight films that came before it to show us that snippet of footage. C-3PO with red eyes. What are we... Uh, evil? Maybe he's got a virus. <sighs> oh, you didn't. Well, he might do. You don't know. Well, it's true, yeah cybernetic glaucoma or something he's quite old cybernetic glaucoma well he survived nine iterations of the franchise hasn't he he's getting on true okay i'll give you that one um r2d2 must have arthritis in his wee wheels <laughs> that's such a bit harsh is he going gray around the edges yes it was getting a bit rusty <laughs> oh dear well, I don't know when the next trailer for this is going to be coming out. I thought there might have been a full trailer, but actually it's just this one little snippet. So I guess we'll have to wait a little bit longer. Uh, where are we? We're in August at the moment. So September, October, November. So it's only four months until the film actually comes out. 
Well, they've only got a couple of days left of August. So. True. Uh, or unless you're listening to this later in the year or in the future, in which case this film's in the past and we already know what happens. And mm. I've gone cross-eyed. Paradox. Okay, enough with the news. Dispense with the news. So for our first review today, we're going to the land of TV, uh, Amazon Prime to be specific, for their new fantasy crime drama, Carnival Row. Before we have a chat about it, let's have a little listen to some audio from the series. Marusin came to me with blood on her hands. She said you died in her arms. Why did she lie to me? Because I told it. We, we told each other everything. Carnival Row stars Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom. Co-starring are David Gayassi, Tamsin Merchant, Andrew Gower, Carla Chrome, Artemis Frushan, Caroline Ford, Indria Verma, Jared Harris and Simon McBurnery. The series debuts its first season on Amazon Prime this week on uh, the 30th of August. So I've seen the first four episodes. You've only seen the first episode of this one so far. Uh, I thought that actually the first episode was probably not the best first impression. Um, I know you were a little bit iffy about it, and then I just wanted to rush through it so I could get my review out in time for uh, for the embargo, which lifted a couple of weeks. It was last week. Um, so you can kind of read my detailed thoughts about this on the website now. Um, what did you think of that first episode? Yeah, well, that was about hard work. What about it made you think it was quite hard work? I don't know. There's, just, there's quite a lot of lore. There was a lot of lore. I, there's there's nearly what three four minutes, uh, just of text on screen in the very first scene that tells you about the Fae and their homeland and the war that um, tries to catch you up. On, you didn't read it, did you? I missed that. <laughs> That's probably why I struggled. Is like I don't know what's going on here. Right. Okay. So I didn't do the pre-reading. <laughs> no. So the whole episode opens with like some really cool music and artwork of a statue of the Fae with text over the top of the screen that does like a, in the oldie days, this is what happened. I'll be honest, I just thought that was opening credits. <laughs> no, they don't happen until later on. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, this is going to be hard work. Super friends. Okay, so continue. What else did you think about it? So, park that thought for a minute. So, very heavy. Um, funnily enough, difficult to follow the storyline as I wasn't quite sure what was going on. But I like the concept of it. Yes. So something that they do, which is quite interesting, uh, which I think ties the loop up a little bit on it, is that actually you almost feel like you come into this at episode two or three because relationships are already set and you you get to learn only snippets of it in the pilot and then it rattles on into the story of the series and then in episode three goes right back to tell like a prologue of what happened. 
during the war and how the characters met to how Orlando Bloom and Cara Delevingne met is all told in episode three. Oh, okay. Maybe I should start with episode three. <laughs> no. Or should I just read it? Watch it in order. Uh, I wouldn't recommend watching it out of order because then you won't get the right effect. Um, but it was it was clever that they decided to do that and go back. I don't think it was wholly successful, but it was, a, it was at least a neat idea to instead of spending the first episode in the past to catch us up to the story they wanted to tell now that they started the story and gave us some intrigue as to what was happening to then go back and fill in the blanks it makes more sense things in context you should watch these things properly yeah so what did you think of the cast in this so it was an interesting collection of cast members with varying levels of celebrity I will say the thing that I sort of grated on me slightly was the range of accents. Okay. So it felt that they could add a bit more sort of vocal coaching around an Irish and a Cockney accent. They're, <laughs> they they are maybe a little bit generic. Um, I find Cara Delevingne's Irish accent more difficult to take than Orlando Bloom's Vinnie Jones-esque Cockney. Well, it's because you're just used to seeing him as an elf, and elves don't have a Cockney accent. No true elves don't have a Cockney accent. Uh, sorry, anyway, your thoughts, not mine. So parking the accents to one side, like from one episode, you could see that there was some good chemistry between them, and that probably did develop as the series goes on, but I've not seen it yet. Yeah, and no, it definitely does. I think the first episode is very um, it's very heavy on her, on her character, uh, Vignette, uh, also named after a short film clip. Um and isn't so much about Philo and then the second character the second character and then the second episode is much more about him than her and then the third episode onwards is much more balanced so I think they took a they took a little bit of time to figure out exactly how to balance the two characters which is fine because they they do sort of equally share the limelight and there was there's you know there's two sides to their relationship that we have to learn and they do that quite fairly and the flashback episode is fairly or fairy alright the third episode the way I was going to explain it to you after I watched it was I was going to say to you it's like watching Underworld Rise of the Lycans for the first time only less of a massive time jump no we haven't seen it I know but I've seen Underworld Rise of the Lycans Uh, no what I mean is that it's it's set in an older time and it's set in a completely different place so it's it's like two different franchises in a way it's like it's it is like a prequel, is what I mean by that. Oh, right, I thought I meant the whole thing. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't there's no vampires. There are werewolves, though. I wasn't um, listening again. I'm sorry. No, no. It's just that you've got the main storyline is very urban set, and it's the characters in a particular setting, in uh, you know, in the burg, and they have it's who they are now, and then the the third episode is set in fairyland. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. Um, when the characters are completely different so he's a soldier in the war she hasn't really come across um man yet so there it's like watching them play completely different characters in a way so it's it is that it's very much a prequel to the rest of the series slotted in in episode three i really should watch it. <laughs> you really should the overall mystery is quite interesting it i'm guessing the reason they only gave out four of the eight episodes is because quite a lot happens with the the major arc of the series after that and they wanted to keep it fairly secret uh, but what you see is really interesting you get to see p- 
part of what is the the creature that you see in in the shadows in the pilot. But there are also plenty of cast twists and turns as well. It's much more of an ensemble piece than I thought it was going to be. It reminded me more of early Game of Thrones in that respect. Like an individual storyline. Even though, multiple. yeah. I mean, obviously, if you think about Game of Thrones season one, the characters were in very different places. Whereas pretty much everyone is in the same town. They're all in the Berg, just in different parts of it. But not everyone in those first four episodes comes across each other. So um, there's a storyline about the Chancellor of the town, who is um, Jared Harris from Fringe. And his son, who is kidnapped, and then also how that affects his wife. But the wife, the son, and the Chancellor never come across... Orlando Bloom or Cara Delevingne at any point in those first four episodes they're completely different that's a totally totally separate storyline and likewise the brother sister uh, characters who are portraying more of the political racist art kind of approach to the story they don't come across any of the other characters either apart from Vignette who is um, so man servant lady servant <laughs> to, uh, to the sister so you can see that there's probably ways in which the stories will all intersect but at the moment it's all very separate and so I think a much more complex series than I thought it was going to be What are your overall thoughts? What, are your, what did you give it out of 10? Good question. Uh, in my review I gave it a 7 out of 10 which is pretty high for me for a TV series uh, that's not like Star Trek or Doom Patrol and I said, bubbling beneath the fantasy exterior is a complex series of plots which all congregate into a compelling, albeit slow-burning, narrative. Carnival Row features some first-rate production alongside well-written and equally complex characters. Based on these first four episodes, we're all in for the rest of the season. And it is, actually, that's a point. The production is just, I could not fault anything about the way the show is made. The CGI is amazing. The... The effects on the creatures are a good mix of practical and, and visual effects, which are all very cool. Actually, one thing worth noting is this is not a series that you want to watch on public transport. Very much not safe for work. I watched the pilot. Well, in fact, I watched most of it on the train. <laughs> and um, It's not where they had that weird brothel scene. They're all flying around the room. There are several. Uh, scenes which feature um, a uh, large amount of bosom um, and or sexual intercourse which may or may not be in midair yes so not not something to watch on the train <laughs> no no uh, a lady did actually move away from me on the train when I was watching the pilot episode <laughs> um, yeah not safe for work but, like I was saying, an incredibly well-made programme. Really, really impeccably well-made. But if you're looking for action, there is very little of that apart from the third episode. It is very, very, very slow-burning in that respect. This isn't an instant gratification kind of show. This is one that's going to make you work for it. Well, it depends on your take, really. <laughs> Unless it's a fairy sex, then you don't have to work very hard for that. There's a brothel on Carnival Road that you can go to for that. But... If you want to get to the crux of the mystery, you've got to work hard for it. 
So as I said, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. You can read my full review over on the website, getyourcomicon.co.uk. And Carnival Row drops its first eight-episode season on Amazon Prime on Friday the 30th of August. Over to you, I think, Martin, for a comic book. So this week I'm going to be talking about a DC comic for a change. And we're going to be coming into issue number four of Deceased. Now this is a nice little mini six issue series written by Tom Taylor. Pencils by Trevor Hairsign and ink by Stefano Godino. So if you've not been reading this, this is a, like I said, it's a mini series. It's looking at, it's almost like a disaster basically. So there's this anti-life viral equation that's been released from apocalypse onto onto earth basically and it's turning everybody who has a mobile device into a flesh-eating zombie that includes pretty much most of our our superheroes to be fair um it's not a cheery series it's almost getting worse as every issue comes along it definitely is getting worse as every issue comes along so sorry for spoilers but you know not many people survive so the death toll by this point you know we've lost batman we've lost nightwing we've lost the birds of prey we've lost a lot of people they've all become flesh-eating zombies really sad times so this issue kicks off with amanda waller trying to save the day as she does and she is doing that with captain atom and the atom yeah i find that slightly confusing when i read it because of the two atoms i've never really computed that there were two characters called atom before it's a collection of particles trying to save the day (laughs) nicely done so essentially what's happened is um the atom has shrunk down to cellular size and jumped into a corpse to try and fight the virus on the molecular level however that's gone horribly wrong and he has got the virus now you've got a super powered microvirus flying about the place so he, he then is able to infect Captain Atom because he can get through his protective nuclear defences. And the last thing you want is a zombie Captain Atom. That really is the last thing you want. So he then pretty much starts going around doing what Captain Atom does and releasing a hell of a lot of nuclear waste. Shrinkifying. Shrink- no, this is Captain Atom. Not oh, Atom. sorry. Wrong Atom. Too many Atoms. They need a big hadron collider. So, on the other part of the story is the remaining heroes are trying to gather to sort of rebuild the forces in Metropolis. So we can see in the rooftop in Metropolis, we've got Superman, we've got Superboy, as in John, his son. We've got Damien, we've got Green Arrow, we've got Green Arrow slash Black Canary, because she's now a, not Green Arrow, Green Lantern slash Black Canary. Do you call her Green Canary or Black Lantern? No, she's green, so... She can't be Black Lantern. Green Canary. Who else is on the roof? So we've got Damien. We have got Lois Lane. Alfred appears and has this really nice moment between Alfred and Damien. I thought that was really sad. Where he hands him this suit and he says, your father's last words were, you're ready to be the bat. This is all on top of the Daily Planet, isn't it? Because in the last issue, Superman had cleared out the Daily Planet, so it was a safe haven. Yeah, so they're trying to, this is our last stance really. And then they, put, they managed to get a signal out to pull the rest of the heroes there. So we get Black Lightning, we get Oh Wonder yeah, him Woman. and his daughters. 
We get the Flashes, Wally and Barry. And am I right in thinking that the virus hasn't made it to Themyscira yet? It's not made it But she chooses yet. to come back because she wants to help. Yeah, she wants to save the day. We've got a bit of Hot Girl as well. She arrives to help. But unfortunately, Captain Atom arrives and he goes pop. Yes. Uh, and pretty much does. mushroom clouds. Everybody. So goodbye, Superman. Goodbye, Wonder Woman. So they fly him off, don't they? They try and get him out of the way. And they carry him as far as they can. But the shockwave is that massive that it reaches all the way back. Takes out Washington, takes out most of the country, doesn't it? And then reaches Metropolis. The whole of the West Coast. I just said Metropolis. Metropolis. Metropolis, yeah. And it it ends with sort of Black Lightning cradling his girls, saying it's okay, hold on to me. And then the panel goes white. White, and that's the end. To be continued. I have a theory. I've got a theory. It could be lantern. Um, <laughs> Dancing lantern or something sort of like that. I wonder if she managed to create a construct at the last minute that keeps them all from, or at least one or two of them, from getting killed off. I don't know if a lantern can hold back a nuclear blast. Not a nuclear blast that weighs about half the country. It depends on how strong her will is. That's true, actually. I wonder because there's there's such a thing about the fact that she seems to be the hero of the piece that I wonder if that's the way it's being written is that she will be the savior overall. But we missed the most important part that Cyborg's there and blows a hole in Gigantic's head. Yes, but no. he's the cause of the virus. I only read this the once. I haven't read this multiple times yet. Did we get any context as to how he's back and cured? No, he just pops up. He's like, they're all dead. We need to explain something. Was he? And then that's it. Was Where he... was his body? Was Batman autopsying him? Am I making that up? No, I thought he went to Apocalypse and then came back and then affected the interwebs. He did, but where do... have we seen his body since then? We haven't. Okay. But he's not zombified. I mean, he's up and about and he's chatting. You're chatting? He's chatting. Maybe, he got... Maybe he's got um, a McAfee virus scanner built in. <laughs> I don't, I don't think the whole story is going to be based on a McAfee antivirus software. It might even be a free trial, you never know. But no, this is a really good series. We're on part four or six, so we've got two more to go. So obviously everybody can't be dead. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. It's going to be really interesting to see where this goes. I just love the fact that it... I think I said this when I talked about the previous issue. I love the fact that you don't know where it's going to go and no one's safe. So it's not like reading your normal everyday comic book because you kind of know that at some point anything will not have hugely far-reaching consequences. Everyone's relatively safe at any point. Whereas in this, no no one is safe. No one is safe and no one is alive. It's interesting because it's not a black label. No, it's not. It's just DC. So is it continuity? Is it not? Is it just a nice little random story? It clearly can't be continuity, otherwise we're in trouble. We're in serious trouble if it's uh, if it's continuity. So overall, I would give this uh, a 9 out of 10, I think. Or you've just got to. In fact, I'm going to change that to a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I absolutely think this is a 10 out of 10. It's, it's excellent. Um, and I was very proud that Tom Taylor retweeted me when I was um, reviewing it, uh, which was very nice. He's just, he seems like such a nice guy, and it's just a, it's a, yeah. This is one of those series I will not hear a bad word about because there is nothing bad that you can say about it at all. 
We want more. Yes, we want more. Two issues more, to be exact. I stand by the fact that I think contextually it works more than Marvel Zombies. Marvel Zombies is... I'm repeating myself, so I'm sorry for those of you that have listened to me talk about this before. But Marvel Zombies is a very clever way of bending the Marvel franchise around the zombie trope. Whereas what DC did was build the zombie trope into the DC universe. And I like that it was... The DC universe hasn't had to bend itself to fit the rules of zombies. Zombies had to bend themselves to fit the DC universe. So I like that. I appreciate that. I appreciate the originality in the writing. So what's next? Oh my god, what's next? Uh, a new Titans trailer just dropped, literally as we were recording. Why don't Whoa. you guys have a listen? Listen to it now. Burn the suit, you're not Robin anymore, so what now? Being Hawk and Dove was dangerous for both of us. I stopped, but if you can't, we're done. You're asking me to choose between my destiny and you. Maybe they're the same thing. I'm so tired. End your little experiment or I will burn this place down myself. There's ghosts in this place. Tell them what happened. Look, I don't take orders from you anymore, man. Get out of my way. You're in my way. Would you do it again? Devote all that time and trouble for someone that just wants to leave? I would do everything exactly the same. I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do. I don't think you have a choice. You ready for this, Grayson? Yep. What is the deal with you and Shimmer, anyway? Well, first, her name is Shimmer. That's just annoying. Okay, Crypto. I guess I'm Connor. Yeah, what the hell is this place, anyway? This is a place where people like you can learn how to be the best version of who you are. I hope I haven't broken this place. Hello, Miss Coriander. Who else did they send? Just me. Sorry about that, Your Highness. I'm glad you could make it! Tighten the back, bitches! Slade Wilson is why we shuttered this place. Sooner or later, he'll come knocking. He's gonna kill how many more now? Now's the time. Be Pepe. Okay, so this is a pretty intense new look at Titans Series 2. Uh, it clocks in at 2 minutes 15 seconds long as well. Uh, although there's one of those annoying things that trailers all have nowadays, which is like a pre-trailer trailer, which kind of annoys me. Don't understand why a trailer needs a trail. Is it like a sizzle trailer? Yes. It's like, here's 5 seconds of what you're going to see in the next 2 minutes, and then 2 minutes. So, we start out with uh, Dick Grayson burning the suit again so we start out with Dick Grayson burning the suit again while a voiceover says you're not Robin anymore and then we get to see Hawk and Dove having a little argument about not really wanting to be Hawk and Dove anymore Hawk seems to have given up on uh, on being Hawk and she doesn't quite seem so ready to give up on being Dove and then uh, we flip to 
Wonder Girl looking rather upset and having a bit of a heart-to-heart with uh, Aqualad. So, oh, and then Raven crying on the phone to someone saying she's tired. Who could she be on the phone to? Can't be her dad. He's in the gem on her forehead. Well, we don't, well, we'd assume he's in the gem on her forehead. Could it be her mum? We don't know what's happened to her mum. Would she have a relationship with her mum after it turns out that she was a follower of Trigon? Well, you probably wouldn't, would you? I feel like I would pretty much disown her if I, you know, found out that she was a follower of Trigon. You'd be like, sorry, Hayne, you've just tried to kill me and my family. My <laughs> friends. What do you think about Hawk and Dove and that situation? That seems interesting. It feels like from the characters that we knew before, she would maybe be the one that was more likely to give up. Whereas he seemed to enjoy being Hawk much more than she enjoyed being Dove. But this seems to show them slightly flipped. Well, you know, she nearly died. She did nearly die. Uh, so I guess this is kind of following on from that. He obviously doesn't want her to get hurt. Maybe she's just feeling a bit reckless and wants to prove a point. Or She could be, yeah. A new invigoration because of the Titans are back. And how do you feel about seeing Dick burning the suit again? Well, I suppose it's kind of it's all a big tease, isn't it? It's, it's very big... symbolic. We're obviously teasing who he's going to become. More on that in a moment, however. So the next kind of batch of scenes, you get to see... Uh, Dove saying to Dick about burning down the Titans Tower and there's a lot of very ominous feelings from all of them, all of the original Titans talking about the fact that there are there are ghosts in the tower. Now am I to presume, considering we don't really see all that much of him here, that we're talking about Jericho? Oh, must be. Has to be. I'm going to assume that his presence is probably going to be a flashback. So, Well, you, you know much more about this than I do, so, so clue me in. So we've not really we've not seen him in the trailers at all, really, have we? So he's not been in the lineup. There's a couple of very brief shots, but nothing major. Yeah. So I wonder if this is going to be like, is it, is it going to be a flashback to the Judas contract? Well, Jeff Johns did say that they'd like to do the Judas contract in this show eventually. Because he's got a he plays a big role in that, you know, when he eventually helps the Titans to kind of betray his dad, Deathstroke, and Terra. So maybe it becomes a part of that. There's also a nice storyline where he's sort of, you know, Jericho, because his power is that he can possess, he can jump from body to body. Yep. And there's a, you know, he jumps into, he's got the special bond with Raven because he jumps into her body and he learns about her past. I remember you telling us about this before. But ultimately he then gets possessed by Azeroth and becomes evil. Uh, okay. And that's this whole horrible storyline where it ends up in him sort of being killed by his dad. So I did say that one of my theories on the first trailer was that the flashbacks were going to show us how the Titans came to be enemies with Deathstroke and that that would parallel what's going on in the present day. So that does seem to kind of be going on here. Um, the next set of shots you see uh, Jason and Dick at each other's throats with, uh, you know, one saying that the other's in his way and the other saying, no, you're in my way. So clearly Jason kind of thinks he's going to be in charge. And I notice in that scene as well, Jason is very much stood with Raven and with um, with Beast Boy with Gar, so I wonder if the younger Titans will kind of befriend each other a bit more and there'll be the old guard and the new guard. That kind of seems like it could be a thing. From there we jump back to Wayne Manor and we hear a little bit more of uh, the scene with Bruce and Dick. So it sounds like Dick's asking Bruce why he would train another Robin 
knowing that it'll probably be somebody else that eventually leaves him and as the camera pans up as Bruce walks out of the mansion you see a shot on his face and he doesn't say it in the shot itself but the voiceover says I would do it exactly the same way again and that then cuts to someone we don't really see who putting on the Robin costume and then a shot of it is clearly Dick in his Robin costume so I don't know if that's then flashing back to him or if this is that for a moment he puts a costume back on I don't know I said before that I thought all the scenes of him in costume were squarely in the past but I could be wrong It'll be interesting to see because it's this, it's this whole dynamic of we've got the old Titans yeah. and we've got the newer Titans coming through and the, the power dynamics of there can't really be two Robins so where does, where does that all fit? How does that all work? Yeah. We then get some scenes of Hawk and Dove in action which look pretty cool. Uh, looks a lot like the, the street scene where they fought alongside Robin in the first season so I'm sure that'll be pretty brutal. There's then a really great shot of Starfire um, because we've not, we didn't really see her in that first trailer. And then you get to see her uh, not in her Disco Diva outfit and with her new hair that she's got in Series 2. And she looks like a more... I don't know what the right word to say is. She just looks better as a character than I thought she did in Series 1. Well, I suppose she's probably... Well, she's found out who she is now. Yeah. So are we seeing it this Disco Diva, which I did love? Yeah, I know. Was that just part of the ploy at that time to get the information that she needed and then lost her memories and now that she's got her memory she's found her her true self possibly yeah so she's deep in conversation with dick and she's asking him if he's kind of ready for the challenge that's in in front of them and that cuts to a scene of uh blindfolded dick i think yep training with with gar so clearly we're now saying that you know he's taking on the role of the mentor he's taking on the bruce wayne type role and he's training these uh these younger heroes cuts then to the scene that we saw in the last trailer of, um, I was going to call her Connor again I always call her Connor Leslie of Donna Troy uh, using the Lasso of Truth and we finally get to see who the person with the red hair is go on. Is it the Lasso of Truth or is that another Lasso? It's another Lasso, I'm sure it's not the Lasso of Truth, that's Wonder Woman's Um, so we finally now know who the woman with the red hair is that looked like Corey was fighting Corey, so we get we basically get to see that same shot from the previous trailer but fleshed out and we now know that this character is called Shimmer Tell us all about her. So, Shimmer, we also see another character which is important as well. Starfire is in the scene. No, another villain that's important. Dr. Light? Dr. Light. So, Shimmer and Dr. Light are part of the Fearsome Five. Ah. Who else is in the Fearsome Five? So, we're missing her brother, um, Mammoth. Okay. So, they're, they're again, so Shimmer and Mammoth are quite a prolific Teen Titans villain okay so you see them quite a lot and they were, they focus quite heavily in titan's hunt which was part of the sort of new 52 oh the, the end of the new 52 beginning of the rebirth era yeah yeah so they popped up in that as well which is really exciting who else is in the fearsome five um so the fearsome five is sort of like hive essentially as well yeah. so we've got simon the sidekick oh that could be cool to see in live action yeah yeah who else is in there and uh, gizmo Gizmo. No, not the Gremlin. Not the Gremlin. The little Gizmo with the one that you, you remember from Titans, the cartoon. Yes. The little one that builds all the stuff. Oh, him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And who else is on there? you got Seymour and Billy Numerous, but those are the main ones. Really. I feel like you've given us more than five. 
No, I've given you more than five. <laughs> They're probably different iterations, but yeah. the list on Wikipedia is quite long. I really like the dynamic between uh, Donna and Corey in this scene. So the way the scene ends with, with uh, Corey saying to Donna, like, what's your problem? And Con- I'm saying it again. I'm saying Connor, not Donna. Um, and Donna says, well, for start, her name's Shimmer. It's a very valid point. So that's we're only at the halfway mark. Then we get a new shot of Connor, the actual Connor, not Connor Leslie now. Uh, and we get a little bit more on what's going on with Superboy. So clearly he, he calls Crypto the dog because of the the, uh, the dog tag that's around his neck. He takes a guard's uniform from Cadmus, and I'm going to presume that the name on that uniform must be Connor. And that's why he decides that his name is Connor. We get to see the Superman shirts on a uh, what looks like a merchandise stand alongside some other Superman merch. And that's where you then see him for the first time in his red shirt alongside Crypto. And he's Look- got his little Superman tattoo as well. Yes, he does. You can see it there on his shoulder. We then repeat the scene of the old school Titans walking through uh, through Titans Tower before jumping into a shot of uh, Ravager, who's, I've now forgotten her non-code um, name. Rules Wilson. Thank you. Uh, in Titans Tower, having a conversation with Dick again, saying, like, what is this place? Like, what, what exactly goes on here? Before it cuts to the two of them having a training sequence as well, where she's uh, she almost kind of whoops his ass in that scene. Well, so I suppose it depends on what her role is. Is she gonna? Is she like a double agent? Is she like a Tara? A Tara? They've said that she's gonna have her um her premonition powers, I believe, as well. Oh, cool. So she's gonna be able to slightly see the future. She's a bit psychic. Yes. Jump to Corey, uh, who seems to be being approached by a member of her um her species, Tamaranians. Tamaranians. Uh, there's only he. She says, "Is there anybody else?" And he says, "No, there's only me." And then he shocks her, and she falls unconscious before he calls her Your Highness. Well, she has a very rich backstory as well. So she does. I mean, there could be so much to see there. We get our first shots of Doctor Light after that with a very, very cool-looking costume. It looks very, um, very homemade, but very. His helmet almost looks like Magneto, and his chest almost looks like Iron Man. There's some very cool tattoos going on with him as well. So I'm really looking forward to see what they do with that. There's a little blast of his powers before we get to see. Uh, S.I. Morales as Deathstroke, looking a little bit old and haggard, watching the TV. So this is clearly the moment that triggers him back into being whatever it is because of uh, Jason Todd appearing on TV doing the Titans are back, bitches! So that maybe isn't a good sign for Jason and his relationship with Deathstroke if it's him that causes him to come back. Well, he's never going to have a really good outcome anyway, is he? True. He's got some trials and tribulations ahead of him. And then the trailer kind of wraps up with uh, with some more talk of the ghosts uh, that live in Titan's Tower and alluding to things that happened in the past. There's a very cool shot of uh, Deathstroke with a sniper rifle, but in full costume. You get a really good shot of the mask. It's still orange, but it's quite dark. It then cuts to the Titan. I'm just trying to look at what's happening in the in this scene. So it cuts to a scene in Titan's Tower where they're looking at the monitors and you can see Rose Wilson and uh, Slade Wilson on screen together. Again, no shots of... Um, Jericho. A little bit more dialogue, a little bit more Deathstroke slicing people up, looking ominous, and then it all kind of ends with a right. Then let's gonna we're gonna have to reform this gang, and we're gonna have to take him on. But that final line when Dawn says to uh, to Dick, "Now's the time to be Batman." But will he be Batman? I don't think so. I think he'll be Nightwing. But again, no glimpse of the costume, so I'm sure that'll annoy a few people because I know people will really want to see it. 
Uh, I, I, well, I mean, literally, this trailer just dropped in like the last 10 minutes. So, um, slightly in shock and awe right now. But it looks so good. I've and got it's all back. the feels. It's back in a week on Friday. We're a little over a week away. And we need to get another trailer so close to drop day. <laughs> drop day. <laughs> That's a good title for it. Um, I know. Um, I just cannot wait to see more of Slade. I had to say it. I had to get it in there. You do love a bit of Slade. Slade. I think he's one of my favourite villains. Who's that again? Slade. That's <coughs> enough of that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I need a drink. Right, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Um, you're going to ask me about a film I went to see. I might have asked you about a comic. You don't know that. Well, ask me what you're going to ask me. So tell us about the film you went to see recently. <laughs> so I went to Warner Brothers last week to watch a new film called The Informer, uh, which stars Suicide Squad's Joel Kinnaman and Blade Runner 2049's Anna de Armas. It's from one of the producers of John Wick and Sicario and is a relatively complex action thriller about um, Kinnaman's character, who's a guy called Pete, who is uh, in with the Polish drug mob in New York but actually it turns out he's an FBI plant but he's only doing it because he'd been in prison for murder and they brought him out early from his sentence so that he could help them and it's all a very complex plot but it was a really cool movie. Sounds very interesting. It was. It's one of those things that I don't go and see at the cinema very often in terms of movies like this. It's the kind of thing that I only end up watching later when someone said to me you really have to watch this. Um, And it required a fair amount of thought and it was a little bit frustrating on a couple of occasions where the plot got a little bit melodramatic or a little bit predictable but it had such a great cast so Rosamund Pike's in it Clive Owen's in it um there's a lot of faces that you recognize the head of the mob is a guy called the general um and it's the guy who um is one of the Bratva in Arrow not not the main guy not um Anatoly not Anatoly but the other one who runs a repair shop you meet him quite early on bald older guy uh he's the general and that's quite funny he's plays quite a comedic role in a way despite what's actually happening in the film it's quite violent at times it's quite bloody there's a lot of f-bombs but it was really engaging and quite enthralling and i was quite hooked all the way through to the end and then when it did end it felt like it ended about five minutes too early and i got quite frustrated what are your overall thoughts what would you give it What's our, what's uh, our ratings? My review comes out for this tomorrow, actually, and uh, the film, I should say, hits cinemas on Friday. I will play you the trailer in a minute because I so rudely haven't done it and I've given you spoilers without giving you a spoiler warning. But I'm... Well, I haven't quite finalised my review yet. I'm I'm landing somewhere in the 6 to 8 range, so probably a 7. <laughs> um, based on the fact that it's a really complex storyline, it's a really complex set of characters... And it's an entertaining film, but it is a little bit formulaic at times as well. So I think, much like when I went to see Brightburn and I hadn't seen a horror film for ages, I really enjoyed it because I hadn't seen something like that in a long time. And I haven't seen something like this in a long time either. So I think if you were regularly watching films like this, you'd probably enjoy it a little bit less because it's probably a lot like other films. But for someone like me who hasn't seen something like this in a while, it was really quite fun. And Joel Kinnaman is amazing. I can only think of really seeing him as Rick Flagg in Suicide Squad. And then that Netflix show that he was in, uh, that we only watched the pilot of, where you may not have watched it. 
It was a big like sci-fi thing he did on Netflix. Um, so I hadn't really seen what he was capable of, and actually he really carries every scene that he's in, and it's quite tragic and quite heartbreaking, really. Um, fair play to him. There's a there's an Oscar nomination deserved in there somewhere, I think, if you ask me. Send your, send your thoughts to the Academy. <laughs> I will. Um, but before I wrap it up, uh, have a listen to the trailer. If anyone can get drugs inside, it's you. Evidence inside a prison buries the general for good. If I say no. You're a convicted felon. You should think of your family. You'll never get out. You're a snitch. Burn him. You can't burn an innocent man. Are you coming home, Daddy? I'm doing everything I can. The Informer, in cinemas August 30. I'm sure there's a ton more things that I could say about it, but um, you'll have to read my review because uh, we're running out of time because of the whole Titans trailer situation. <laughs> um, they've gone and blasted away half the time. But The Informer is by Warner Brothers and it is in cinemas on Friday the 30th of August. There's so many films out this week. So I have obviously my review of this that's coming out and the film is out this week. We also have uh, Asterix that's out this week that I have a review of and there's something else. Oh, Carnival Road, but that's not cinema. There's just lots coming out this week. It's a very busy one. So, for our final part of the podcast... Oh, God. Uh, it's you again. It's me again. Well, we did say we were going to talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths, and you'll notice that I did say that in the opening, but now I think we've talked about Titans again. I think we might have to park it, because we're running quite long again. So, uh, if you were tuning in and hoping to hear us talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths, we were going to, and we now apologise, but we're not going to. It turned into Titans Part 2. Yes, it turned into Titans Part 2, following on from last week. Uh, right, so the comic book that I'm going to tell you about is uh, Batman Superman number 1, which hits all good comic book stores today. It is written by Joshua Williamson, who has been masterminding The Flash for the last few issues and did The Flash Year 1. And it has art by David Marquez and colours by Alejandro Sanchez. Um so this spins out from the uh, Dark Knight's Metal and the Batman Who Laughs storyline. So following the end of the Batman Who Laughs miniseries, we knew that Jim Gordon, spoiler alert, had been infected by uh, the chemical that made the Batman Who Laughs who he is. And we now know that there are going to be a group of other characters from the DC Universe who are also infected. So what we do in this issue one is uh, we set up a bit more of the relationship of Batman and Superman as they are at the moment. It doesn't really linger too much on the effects of the Batman Who Laughs miniseries, although it is referenced in a conversation that happens later in the issue. Really what it focuses on is the relationship between the two of them. So it starts off with a story written by Clark Kent that's in the Daily Planet, all about Batman. And they talk about the fact that Jimmy Olsen managed to snap a picture of Batman, which is unheard of. And then in his super hearing uh, Clark hears Batman calling him over to Gotham uh, so the two of them kind of have a little bit of interplay there's a weird potential sequence at the beginning um, with the Batman who laughs and Superman on uh, the Justice League satellite but then it cuts back to Earth Zero and we see what's going on in Gotham with everyone on the rooftop now we know at this point that Jim Gordon's infected with the virus but we don't know that anybody else knows um, it's not necessarily given away in this scene, but it is alluded to quite a lot. There's the odd little heh, 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 
uh, and he looks very red around the eyes with his glasses on. Does it do that thing where certain words are in red? It doesn't. But was there a code in there? I meant to go back and read if there was a code. Oh, I just thought it was quite clever to see that as in slowly transitioning. Ah, no, actually, I think there's a code to the red words, but I've not gone back to go over it. So some really great team-up moments in this. Uh, They're on the hunt for a missing teenager who's been kidnapped. And, of course, it brings them to Crime Alley, to the exact spot where the Waynes were murdered. And that's where they find the Batman Who Laughs Batcave. And that leads to a little a little twist on the tale that I don't want to spoil, given that this issue's only out today. But it sets up the mystery very, very well, and we get to meet the first of our super-powered infected. Uh, I will not tell you who it is, but uh, when the, uh, the, the, the world's finest... I was going to call them the Wonder Twins. The world's finest catch up with, uh, with someone who may or may not be the teenager that was kidnapped... Uh, they certainly learn a very quick lesson as to exactly who the first infected hero is and it ends on an amazing cliffhanger with uh, with Superman in uh, in a pretty dicey situation uh, given what's about to happen next. Sounds very intriguing and I will be rushing to read it. It's Honestly, it's excellent. So I haven't given it a score yet. Uh, this would probably be a for an opening issue in a in a series that is hinging on a miniseries but is set to be a long running I mean this isn't being billed as a miniseries it just spins off from a miniseries there's a lot of setup, and it's it's cool to see these two teaming up in a, in a book again because it's been a while since we had a Batman Superman book and Williamson's writing lends itself really well to the story his flash was very upbeat and this still has an air of that upbeat nature to it but it's not quite as upbeat it fits the characters well. It doesn't veer off into strange territory just because he's a bit more of a comedic writer. It's still very dramatic and uh, and a cool read. And the artwork is really nice as well, actually. It's um it's nothing it's nothing unique, it's nothing out of the ordinary, but the characters are rendered really well and it has a very three D sort of look to it. There's some great shading and the skin tones that make characters look very very rounded and they don't it jumps off the page a lot more than some comic books do, and particularly uh, the the final page. Actually, the the Batman Who Last Batcave is a really good uh, splash page. That's a really interesting view, but the last page is the one that's going to stick in your mind when you read this one, without a doubt. That's going to be the one that hangs with people until we get through into issue two. So I think my overall impression of this one would definitely be somewhere in the region of a nine out of ten. And where can the, the lovely listeners pick up a copy of this you wonderful can, comic? <laughs> you can pick up a copy of this where all good comic books are sold. Wonderful. That about wraps it up for this one. We brought you a bit of a mammoth episode last week, running at nearly an hour and 40 minutes long. So thanks to the Titans trailer, we will park our discussion on Crisis on Infinite Earths again. But let us know what your hopes are for the crossover this year or what characters you're hoping to see and we'll uh, we'll read out some of your comments and we'll have a proper discussion about it next week but in the meantime you can still enter our Batman Hush competition with Warner Brothers that ends uh, later today which is the 28th of August and we pick, we'll be picking a winner for that one on the 29th uh, that's for a copy of Batman Hush the new animated movie on Blu-ray I don't even know what to, th- what to say is coming up in the next two weeks because I've just I'm, I'm just all Titans sideswiped. Well, just watch this space. You've got It coming up. Yeah, I'm going to the It screening with Warner Brothers on the 2nd of September, which should be pretty cool. I'm also doing the 
it event in Waterloo on the 31st, so I'll have lots of Pennywise action to talk about. We said last time we'd catch up on Young Justice, and that hasn't happened yet. That finishes. That finished yesterday. The last three episodes came out yesterday. So we need to uh, we need to catch up on that one and see how it ends. Ooh, do you know what, though? What? The first episode of Titans will be out by the time we record again. It will, but I'm going to be away. You are. You're going to be at a conference in Valencia, so um, we'll be watching that one separately. Because <laughs> I'm not waiting. No, I wasn't going to wait for you, though, so... But by the time we record, we should be able to talk to you about the first episode of Season 2 of Titans, which is very exciting. Very exciting. We so, have to dedicate a whole episode just to that. <laughs> I don't think we can dedicate a whole episode just to that. Viewers, if you'd like a whole episode, let us know. All right. That's enough. So until next time, bye! Bye!